The scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them? to gain the whole world and forfeit their life. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This September, we have a trip to Italy on the church calendar, fingers crossed. And if that works out in the next year or so, another trip to Israel, a visit to the Holy Land, not yet on the calendar. They're both part of what we call spiritual enrichment travel, but they're very different. Here's one way I would put it. In preparation to go to Israel, we always tell people, you really need to get in shape. You need to be walking a lot. In preparation for Italy, You need to learn how to save room for the gelato after the pasta. Now, they're both about growing spiritually, and I hope you'll consider one or both, but they're just different. The the trip to Italy is, is actually called a Bible and art tour because I, along with a docent from the Nelson, named Donna Hudeman, will be leading this trip, and we're going to look at Bible and art, all of the portraits of, art, of biblical passages that show up in the Renaissance art. But I've kind of nicknamed it the Bible and art and wine and pasta and gelato tour because there'll be lots of free time and places to explore on your own when we're not traveling together and times to just sit at a plaza and sip on a drink as you drink up the sunshine and watch the people go by. Israel trip is a little different. You you might call it the we hiked all day where Jesus walked tour. It's pretty grueling. This will be the fifth time that David May and I have led this trip and this last time in fact around day four the group said is there any way we could maybe just quit a little earlier each day And, and we get it so we did. I mean, you know, there's, there's jet lag to begin with. There's trying to keep up with the luggage that you change hotels. And there's so many sites to see that you're just sort of overwhelmed. One of those sites is Caesarea Philippi, which we read about in the text. 
It's called Banyas today, but Caesarea Philippi, and, and it looks something like this. We, when we get out of the bus and, and approach it, there's this kind of big hill, not quite a mountain, but it, it's got a cleft, and out of it is coming a fresh spring, gushing, and all kinds of statues to Roman gods all around. And we, we talk about it and what's going on here and this story and there. And, and then because there's a nature preserve and another site to see, we take a hike. We, we make our way along this path, dodging the branches, stepping across streams, onto rocks, that kind of thing, trying to keep up with the person in front of us. And by the time we get back on the bus, which mercifully goes around and meets us, a bottle of water and some AC feels pretty good as we head toward the next place. And that's when it happens. Someone on the bus says, hey, hey, Mike, David, um, just a, que- a question. What was that? What, what, what were we seeing? I, I, didn't, I didn't really get that. Is, that. is that in the Bible? What, why did we stop there? And this is after, mind you, we've done our little spiel on what this was about. Not that our feelings are hurt. I think some people feel the same way when they hear this passage read in church. What, what's going on? I mean, there's a lot of verses. What, what are we supposed to make of this? What, what's, what's the point? So here's part of what we say. You, you shouldn't let it escape your notice that the location is named after a Caesar. Caesarea or Caesarea. And the fact that it's got all these statues to Roman gods. In a place like that, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? In other words, in the Roman Empire scheme of things, who is he? Compared to the Caesar, compared to these gods, who is he? I've always kind of pictured the scene as a kind of pop quiz. Jesus says to the disciples, okay, get out a piece of papyrus or parchment and number one to two. And all the disciples groan like high school students. Oh, shoot. Two questions. Question number one, who do people say that I am? And question number two, who do you say that I am? It turns out, though, it's not really a pop quiz. In the Gospel of Mark, this is the midterm exam. It comes right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. To the first question, the disciples, well, they rely on what's been circulating in the rumor mill, what they saw on Facebook the other day. Well, some people say John the baptizer. Some people say maybe Elijah and others, just one of the prophets. And to the second question, Peter, who is spokesperson for the group, he represents everyone who follows Jesus. He says, you are the Messiah which is the correct answer, by the way. You could also put the Christ, because Christ is just Greek for the Hebrew term Messiah. But Peter gets it right. But here's the thing. Anybody on fill-in-the-blank, multiple choice, can get it right. You know, just get lucky. I have a feeling if it had been an essay question, Peter would have flunked. Because he doesn't stop there. You know, Jesus goes on. He says, well, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die and be raised from the dead. And that's when Peter rebukes Jesus. In my experience, it never goes well 
when a student rebukes the teacher. And sure enough, Jesus rebukes him in return. He says, get behind me, Satan. You, you, you have your mind set on your own agenda instead of God's. In Matthew's gospel, not Mark, but in Matthew's gospel, Peter not only gets it right, but he expands on it. He says, well, you're the Messiah or the Christ, the son of the living God. Ding, ding, ding. He gets it right. And Jesus is so pleased, he puts a little A in the grade book, and he hands Peter the keys to the kingdom. But see, Matthew, he grades on the curve. Mark does not. In the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are what we call thick. They are slow to catch on. They are, as a friend of mine used to say, two sandwiches shy of a picnic. They just don't get it. They don't catch on. I remember in the late 80s when we moved here so that I could teach at the seminary, one of my colleagues was a great older gentleman named Dr. Hugh Womble. He was nearing retirement. We were just starting out. And so the young faculty at lunch, we would always pick his brain, try to soak up his wisdom. And I'll never forget the time that he told us about the student who had come to him to say, Dr. Womble, I don't understand how I got an F on the midterm. I don't know what he said to the student, but he said this is what I wanted to say because we don't give G's. <laughs> we don't give G's. What the F's is bad as you can do. Peter, he gets a G. He doesn't get it. Not really. But here's the thing. Peter is living this in real life. We, on the other hand, are like Mark's readers. We are removed from it. In other words, it's an open book test. The answers are right there for us to get. And I love what he says. Jesus says to those who are following him, disciples, and to the crowd, those who are considering it, let me lay out for you what it's going to involve. So if you've been a part of this thing called Christianity, consider yourself a disciple, here it is. And if, on the other hand, you kind of stand back thinking, I don't, I don't know, what, what exactly is involved here? Before I sign, what, what? here it is. Deny yourself. Take up a cross and lose your life for the sake of God that you might find it. That's tough stuff. I don't think I had a clue what I was getting into when I came to faith as a freshman in college. No clue. I could probably do okay on the multiple choice, the fill in the blank, but essay? I've been trying to imagine what, what would I write on my essay for the midterm? You know, one of those blue books, because we don't use papyrus or parchment, and who, who knows, they probably don't even use blue books anymore, but I'm old school. So here's, here's what I've come up with. I think I would start by saying, well, I, I think there's a hermeneutical distance here. You, you know, you need to impress the professor, right? Jesus knows that word. There's a distance between us, and I don't think God intends for us to die for the cause. Although I would note that the earliest followers, many of them did, Peter included. And, and I don't think we're supposed to go to Home Depot and buy lumber and lug a cross around town. Although I remember in seminary in Fort Worth, there was this guy who came to town, Arthur Blessed, and he lugged across around the world. Well, 
it had wheels on the bottom, which I always thought was cheating, you know? I mean, if you're going to bear your cross, it shouldn't be on wheels. But, you know, if you look, he's, he, he's in the reader, uh, Guinness Book for most miles lugged, lugging across or some such thing. But I'm, I'm kind of getting off track, which is a helpful strategy when you've got to fill out a whole blue book. But you remember, Jesus is grading the exam. So I'd probably, I'd probably cite the New Testament scholar Fred Craddock, something about the Greek tense here used, or maybe, maybe that story that Fred tells of how when he was in high school, he always thought there'll be this moment when I will give my entire life to God. They'll, they'll shoot me in front of a firing squad, and, and folks will come and they'll say, this is where Fred Craddock was martyred. Here, let me get your picture over there. And then he realized... It's not how it happens. You, you don't give your life in one fell swoop. It's every day in little chunks over a lifetime. It's, it's like the quizzes count. But see, the thing is, I think this is so complicated that I'd probably, I'd probably cite Peter Singer, the ethicist. We've been reading about him in the Life Worth Living course. And so, you know, with an essay, you just throw in anything you can think of. Singer has this one exercise, I guess you'd call it. It's called the child in the fountain. You, you have a new job, and you're on your way to work for the first day. You have new clothes on, but you come across this child who's in a fountain drowning. I mean, if you stop and help, you'll be late for work. It's your first day. You might ruin your clothes, but it's no debate. It is the right thing to do. But then Singer says, if that's the right thing to do to help a child you come across what is your obligation toward other children you don't come across who are dying every day? Whew. And that's when I would probably write something like, I struggle with this, or this, this seems complicated to me. You see, I honestly believe, I'd write this down, I honestly believe God wants us to enjoy the feast in Italy. And God wants us to deny ourselves. And making sense of the two is not easy. I mean, Jesus feasted, whereas John the baptizer fasted. I, I think I'd probably say something like this. What if it's about the foundation upon which your life is built? You know, there could be a life built on denying self, on serving others, but occasionally feasting. Or you could build a life on totally your own pleasure with an occasional tax write-off. I don't know. It's a struggle. I'd probably write something like, I do know this. If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, your life, your way, what good is it? But, you know, even though it's a midterm and even though it's an exam and you've got to fill up the whole blue book, eventually time's up. Time's up. But there'll be a final. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus aces the final. He gives his life. They take his life from him. The Romans take his life, and God gives it back in the resurrection. He aces it. Peter doesn't do so well. Three times he denies knowing the Christ. He was supposed to deny himself. Instead, 
He denies Jesus. And yet, and yet, at the resurrection, when the women go to the tomb, the messenger says, go and tell my disciples and Peter that I'll meet them in Galilee. That's where Caesarea Philippi is. And Peter. And even in that earlier scene at the midterm, when he says, get behind me, Satan, Satan's just Greek for adversary. You're working against me here. And he doesn't say, get out of my face. Get out of here. He says, get behind me. Follow me. See, on that trip to Israel, when we leave Caesarea Philippi and we get on that little trail and we're hiking along and we're trying to figure out, what, what was that? What are we doing? We just kind of keep our eyes on front of, in front of us on that pair of Nikes in front of us and we just keep trudging until we get back to the bus and it, and it works. And I think of the Christian journey in a similar way. We don't, we don't know exactly what we're doing all the time, but we're just trudging along and we're looking at the feet in front of us and, and there are feet in front of them and somewhere at the front of the line there are sandaled and pierced feet. And every once in a while, Jesus calls out, follow me. You following me? And he kind of looks back over his shoulder and waits for our response. Our response.